All right. Going to switch gears here for a little bit. We talked um, earlier, well, yesterday, if you were listening yesterday, we had the discussion about um, clean drinking water on Canada's First Nations and how it's an election issue that all the parties agree on, insofar as saying it's something we need to do something about. And uh, this is a long-standing agreement that political parties have. Going back many, many years, it's been something we've talked about in this country, but really not taken a lot of steps towards solving. In fact, we're still in a pretty desperate situation when it comes to um, boil water advisories and all the rest on First Nations in this country. So we were asking, well, why is that? You know, what is the situation? Why is this so hard? Has there been solutions proposed that haven't been adopted? And... Um, I was contacted by Steve Rudy yesterday who said, yeah, yeah, there has. In fact, I was part of a panel that was formed a way back in 2006 to take a look at this very issue and advise Jim Prentice, who was at the time the minister in charge of this file in Ottawa, and say, this is what we need to do. Hasn't happened. Some of it has, some of it hasn't, but obviously we haven't taken as many steps forward as we need to. So uh, let's get a little deeper into that discussion. We're going to chat now with um, Dr. Steve Rudy, who is an internationally renowned researcher, educator, communicator, author, and professor at the University of Alberta. Dr. Rudy, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for reaching out yesterday and saying, hey, yeah, I have some background on this that your listeners may find interesting. Uh, I appreciate that very much. So um, let's just go back to your involvement in this. It goes back to 2006, right, when you were part of a a small committee that was brought together to try and study this very issue. That's correct. Uh, So in 2006, uh, the Conservatives had just been elected, and they inherited a report from the uh, Auditor General from the fall of 2005 uh, pointing out that there was no regulatory regime for safe drinking water at First Nations. And so uh, the minister at the time, Jim Prentice, uh, convened this panel. Uh, he appointed uh, uh, Dr. Harry Swain as chair, uh, who he had chaired the research advisory panel to the Walkerton Inquiry. Uh, myself, uh, I had been on the uh, that panel as well for the Walkerton Inquiry. And Grand Chief Stan Lutet, who was uh, Grand Chief for the area where Kaseshawan happened, which is another long story. So, what was you know what were your findings then? Like, what what? How did you go about assessing the situation? First of all, what did you look into and try and get a, a an understanding out of exactly where we stood back in two thousand six, mind you, in terms of clean drinking water? Well, ironically enough, that we were given a very short leash and very short timeline. Uh, we were uh, retained in uh, late May, uh, early June, and, and asked to report by September. Uh, we got our report in by October, but uh, we actually conducted 11 public hearings across Canada. I uh, had uh, substantial engagement from First Nations representatives, from uh, consultants, and uh, other people who knew about the subject. So uh, we put that together in a report. It was tabled in the House of Commons in uh, December 2006. Um, it took another five years for legislation to uh, uh, be developed from that, but ultimately it was in 2011, but uh, it didn't get passed until 2013. Okay, so let's talk about your findings. Uh, you know, you presented some solutions, some options to deal with this problem. What, 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 what were your findings? What did you say we could do to make this a better situation? Well, knowing that we've got limited time, the the most important message that we gave and uh, testified several times before Senate committees and parliamentary committees, uh, water treatment uh, doesn't work unless you have qualified, uh, well-supported, dedicated operators. 
and uh, you know what the uh, program coming out of the various uh, versions of the Department of Indian Affairs, it's now Aboriginal Affairs, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good at handing out money uh, for building treatment plants, but uh, supporting uh, operators and and the people that have to make it work has been a continuing problem. Yeah, you know, I mean, it seems like an obvious solution. If you're going to build the the equipment, the facilities, you need to make sure that there's people capable of running them in there. I mean, how how can such an obvious disconnect take place? I've been asking myself that question. I mean, as they say, every time I testified before one of these committees, I'd say, look, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, First Nations communities have very high unemployment. Yeah. Uh, here we're saying we need some trained, skilled people uh, to do a skilled job. Uh, can't we kind of solve two problems in one uh, uh, fell swoop? I think part of it is, and I don't understand fully the uh, the limitations, but the mechanisms for funding that flow from the federal government to First Nations communities uh, seem to be very restricted when it comes to operating funds as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, providing capital. Well, you know what, you make, you make an interesting point because we, you, there's a lot of money spent on this. I mean, those water treatment plants cost a lot of money, and you're right, they're, they're, they've built them. Um, but well, now we're, Exactly. Now, I mean, there's, there's been billions spent on, billions. on uh, uh, spending, uh, you know, uh, frankly, there's a lot of First Nations communities that have uh, uh, far more sophisticated, better quality, newer water treatment plants than uh, equivalent-sized uh, non-First Nations communities. You know, and when we talk about the money, we know that, the, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, $8 billion, um, was just uh, issued in compensation because of the boil water advice. We, we are talking about billions and billions of dollars being spent to not really solve the problem here. Well, that, that's uh, the op-ed that I referred to you to that got me back into thinking about this was on July 30th, uh, uh, the minister responsible announced that the feds had agreed to uh, settling a class action lawsuit for $8 billion, uh, $1.5 billion of which was going to be paid out in compensation to 142,000 residents who had uh, experienced boil water advisories. And the first question came to mind to me. I mean, that's an average of $10,000 a person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a nice payment, uh, you know, coming two weeks before uh, calling an election. But what's that going to do to solve the safe drinking water problem? They have not been clear about how the rest of the funds are going to be spent. And, um, you know, directed the right way, uh, the problem certainly could be dealt with. But uh, I'm just not seeing a lot of indication that uh, it's there. And, and frankly, since publishing uh, that op-ed, I've heard zero from anybody uh, involved in the issue, uh, other than the discussions that you've had. Well, yeah, you know, and it's really interesting, because we talked yesterday about geography and, and some of the issues, and there are issues, there's no question about it, but we're in a position now where, you know, some infrastructure has been in, in place, um, there's talk about increasing more and things like that, but I mean... it the solution you're proposing is really quite simple. I mean, you're already spending billions of billions of dollars. If you put it in the area of giving them the infrastructure and the expertise and the training to to use the infrastructure, a lot of these problems would go away. Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, the fact is that, you know, we've known for more than a century how to uh, make drinking water safe from uh, uh, causing disease from like, microbial pathogens. And that's what well, water advisories are called for, is that uh, signals are come that uh, the water could be contaminated with microbial pathogens, which come from human waste and animal waste. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not 
uh, truly rocket science to uh, uh, solve that problem. Uh, but it does require dedicated, uh, uh, competent, well-trained, and well-supported operators to do it. Yeah, doctor, I'm just taking a look. You, you proposed this back in 2006. Um, you sent me uh, a PDF today showing that there's 400-plus boil water advisories in British Columbia, 15 years after this plan was proposed, and there's been so much talk about it over the years. How frustrating is it to know that everybody talks about it, everybody says it's something that we should do, but nobody actually does it? Well, I mean, that's a really good point, and I need to point out that those 400, uh, that's in one health region in B.C., the interior health region, yeah. you know, Okanagan up to uh, uh, south of Prince George. Um, those are not First Nations. Those are, you know, regular communities. It's a problem with small communities of all kinds. It's not just First Nations. Um, frankly, Canadians take uh, drinking water uh, for granted, uh, we're willing to spend, uh, you know, dollars per bottle for, for bottle of water, which, you know, uh, soft drink companies can take from the tap and treat and put in a bottle and sell to you for a couple of bucks. Um, you know, people will spend money on water, but they're not, I guess, informed enough or uh, supportive to make sure that their community systems are functional. So what questions should we be putting to our, our leaders, you know, in this final week of the campaign? I mean, they all talk about it, but they have for a long time with no action. So what do we need to demand of them as we head into the vote next week? Well, on this particular issue, they have to describe how are they going to go about actually uh, changing the course. I mean, the, the, the promises are all about reducing well water advisories. Yeah. Well, uh, that's an arbitrary thing. Uh, the boil water advisories, in, in in many cases, are called by the chief and council of the, of the First Nation themselves. Uh, so putting them on or taking them off is uh, not necessarily indicative of having solved the problem. I think another issue that I've heard a lot of confusion about that uh, it needs to be uh, explicit is the the feasibility of providing piped water to every uh, residence in the community. Yeah. I mean, I, I checked and, you know, there's something over 600,000 Alberta residents who are rural, which means, you know, they're either in uh, acreages or on farms. Um, they don't have pipe water. Uh, you know, they, they either have to have a well or they get uh, water delivered by truck. Um, and that's just an economic thing that, uh, you know, if you're located too far away from where the water treatment plant is, uh, building pipes out to all of those uh, residences isn't really feasible. Right. Um, so, you know, that shouldn't be confounded with this other issue uh, that, uh, you know, where you have a water treatment plant, making sure it's operated well and consistently and is well supported. I don't know why it's so difficult to provide that, that support uh, with the dollars that we're talking about, but it just doesn't seem to happen. No, it hasn't. There's clearly something that doesn't follow through there. Uh, Dr. Rudy, I can't thank you enough for reaching out yesterday and following up with an interview today. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Steve Rudy, a researcher. And as you heard, um, he was on an advisory panel to Jim Prentice, who was the minister in charge of this back in 2006. And, uh, you know, and as he said, we, we've we've spent the money on the infrastructure in many cases. We've built the water treatment plants, but we didn't follow it up with staff to do it. 
Um, now, uh, a lot of you saying on the text line, well, they didn't want to do it. You know, we, we did it, we had it in place, but they didn't follow through. I'm sure there's some instances of that, and there's some instances if we didn't provide the proper training. Who knows? Who knows? But, you know, I was reading another story where uh, a chief of Sutina was saying that, you know, they came in and they built the water treatment plant, and that's great, and we use it to, to um, supply the school, so they have good, clean running water in the school, but they didn't build the infrastructure to run it to all the houses. And, you know, and Dr. Rudy was talking about that. That's another added cost. So it is not a simple solution, I don't think, but there are definitely solutions out there. And I think, unfortunately, as a country, to this point, we've taken a look at it as we're going to talk about this because on the surface, it's mind boggling that in 2021, we have this many people living um, without access to clean water. But we do. Uh, And all the parties agree that that's not right and it needs to be fixed. But what's the plan? Do we ever get the plan? Do we ever get the follow through? 